movie title week. Yes. Uh, for the midweek, we've gone for The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai <laughs> Across the Eighth Dimension. Even reading it, I get stuck with that. Which you chose for reasons... Well, a few weeks ago, we did the Room episode, and we talked about Voltron, mm. Legendary Defender, and a friend of mine. He was the guy who liked Legendary Defender. He was big into cult movies, and I watched this with him. And, well, here we are. Mm. It's got a hell of a cast. Yes. It is a real who's who of, like, 80s movies. We've got Peter Weller, but he was an un- unknown. We've got Christopher Lloyd. We've got... Uh, John Lithgow, John Ellen Lithgow. Barkin, Jeff Goldblum. And that geezer from Breaking Bad also makes an appearance. Yes, Jonathan Banks. Banksy. Oh, Banksy. But I must admit that I... Just didn't know anything about this. I'd never heard of it. Didn't know it existed. So this was completely fresh, even though it's a 1984. As was that comment the first time round we recorded yeah, this. Yeah, because this isn't the first time we've tried to do this. No. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a genuine surprise to me the first time you told me that you'd not seen this. But yeah. maybe it hasn't had a cultural footprint. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll get onto it later. But you know, now it would be described as a cult classic. And the reason things are called a cult classic is because they don't have you know, an enormous, wide-reaching success. Yes. Anyway. Uh, This is an extremely ambitious, very plot-heavy, exposition-heavy movie, huge scope, but uh, scenes of it made almost by, like... I would expect the Art Ninjas movie to look better than some of this stuff. I mean, you know... If you think of the 80s as the decade of excess, this movie is like that. There's just too much going on as a lot of excess where every idea, idea under wise, the sun not necessarily on screen but there's certainly too many ideas possibly but we'll get onto it because we're going to talk about what happens in the movie itself peter weller people out there may or may not know who that is he was robocop but in this this is i guess a breakout role for him he plays the titular buckaroo banzai and i read him described as a polymath today which i had to look up and that means that He's a kind of expert in many different fields. So in this, he's a neurosurgeon. Yes, particle physicist. He's in a band. He can do music. Martial he's, artist. Yeah, he's he's got it all going on. You can you name it, and he's half Japanese as well. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. But they don't they don't do that sort of dreadful no. makeup style thing. I think it's just that was because that was the like martial arts side of it. Maybe I don't yes, know. maybe. Anyway. So yeah, there's a load of techno babble now, and we see a car, uh, a 1982 Ford F350 pickup with a jet engine. Yeah, it's been modified with a jet engine on it, which was a real thing that mm. they nicked from the army. Mm. And there's a load of dialogue from like Mission Control that's been actually borrowed from real sequences of launch launching mm. shuttles. It's just techno babble over this jet car being prepared. Meanwhile, Dr. Banzai, Buckaroo Banzai, he's doing a brain operation with Jeff Goldblum. And he asks, he's so impressed with his assistants, he asks him whether he, he can sing because he wants him to join the band, which is called the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Good name. Yeah. Uh, and then Banzai, having successfully completed the brain operation, gets into his driver's gear. Yeah. And gets behind the wheel of the jet car. Yeah. It's it's not just a kind of land speed record they're going for. There's something else going on because he attaches something mm. into the car, which possibly has some significance, even though it looks potentially quite budget. Yeah. <laughs> Do we want to give the game away right out the gate? It, basically, he's an, he's attached an oscillation 
overthruster. And I know you know what that means, Sidey, and I'm sure most of the listeners will do as well. Mm-hmm. But for anybody who doesn't know, the oscillation overthruster, it folds space to allow things to phase to pass through solid matter. And he tests it by driving his jet car through a mountain. Yes, it looks a lot like the flux capacitor from Back to the Future, which isn't the only connection to Back to the Future in this movie. Oh. It also was a thing that was used five years later, five years down the line in Star Trek The Next Generation. The episode uh, was called Pen Pals. It's where data breaks the, what do they call it in their world? We're not allowed to interfere. The first... Prime Directive. That's it, the Prime Directive. He I'm not even a Star Trek nerd. I know, I know. But, so that does happen. But it is essentially just pipes with some LEDs on it. Yeah. But it yeah. does, it enables them to do this thing. And he... I love the idea of it, though, sitting as a prop in a warehouse somewhere and somebody digging it like out for Star Trek. Like the Ark of the Covenant yeah. warehouse, yeah. Yeah, he kind of, when he's doing this jet car thing, which I... Did most of them think it was just a speed thing? Because... It seems to be that way because he sort of, it at has the a last sort of, minute, he looks to be sort of, he should be slowing down. Yeah. And then he just like veers off. Yeah, comically, like at, at 90 degrees into this mountain and just goes through it. Where you then get some great 80s mm. graphic VFX. Really top notch going through dimensions. Yeah, you see some creatures sort of phasing in and out and stuff. And there's some great synth work going on and it's all pretty cool. And so it works. They're able to go to the eighth dimension. But on his return, something has come back with him. He's brought some sort of alien creature with him. Well, he rolls out the car as it's still moving. Did you notice that? It was brilliant. <laughs> And uh, and then, yeah, he goes underneath it and there's this sort of brain thing just yeah. attached to the underside of the car. Meanwhile, at the Trenton home for the criminally insane, John Lithgow is watching on telly uh, the stories of Banzai's yeah. great achievements. And uh, it prompts him to have a flashback to when he worked with Professor Hikita, who we haven't mentioned yet, but was a conspicuous character in the opening scenes. Yeah, I guess he's sort of like a partner slash mentor of uh buckaroo but many years prior he was working on this similar experiment but with john lithgow who at that point was slightly gung-ho but mm. still relatively normal looking where we're seeing him he's got some kind of crazy makeup going on and um, his hair's all blasted back isn't it yeah and a kind of fucking weird accent yeah, which on. changes throughout the movie because later on, for some reason, he's Mussolini right near the end. He's got all medals <laughs> on his thing and he's got long hair flopped over. It's amazing. But yeah, so basically it turns out that Lithgow sort of did this experiment. Mm. He shouldn't have done it. Testing his oscillation overthruster that wasn't right. And he gets comically stuck between two dimensions. Which they illustrate by having his upper <laughs> half through a basically a cardboard wall uh, and his legs dangling on the other side and so he he (laughs) is sort of half stuck in this other dimension so the experiment sort of works but not as well as buckaroo well and also when he comes back he's been possessed by the evil leader of the whatever alien clan the red electroids hence the accent yeah so anyway because he's seen this all happen on tv so that was a flashback now dr emilio lizardo john lithgow he wants to escape the mm. hospital, he does it by knocking out Breaking Bad's Jonathan Banks in a mm. moment where you go, oh, yeah, as soon as, soon as yeah. he says anything, you're like, oh, I know exactly who that is. And then there's a sequence in the nightclub. Yeah, it's the this is the Hong Kong Cavaliers uh, gig. Yeah. And they're playing sort of bluesy, synthy stuff and Buckaroo's on the lead guitar. He's got fl- flamboyant clothes on. He's absolutely amazing at yeah. guitar. But he can kind of sense 
that there's someone upset, someone depressed. Is uh, somebody in, crying? In the audience. Out there in the darkness. <laughs> what does he say? Well, he says, Wherever. he says, don't be mean because the audience are tittering yeah. and he's shushing everyone. We don't have to be mean. Remember, no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> you know, this sort of mindfulness expression about taking yourself with you wherever you go, you'll find yourself there. And that fans of the movie have latched onto yeah. as being quite profound about it. I'm not so sure, but it's a good little bit of philosophy anyway. Yeah, and they, they do a song especially for her, but she still, maybe she didn't like the song because she attempts suicide. <laughs> and that is mistaken for an assassination attempt on Banzai. Yeah. Bizarrely. Yeah. But anyway, she gets end up, she ends up in jail because Banzai's staring at her. He's fascinated by her. And it becomes clear the reason he's fascinated her is because she is the exact double the twin if you of his of his late wife's yeah, she is his late wife's long lost identical sister. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, they have a press conference to talk about the rocket car and all that stuff. And, you know, she's there for some reason and she explains it. And then he ta he shows the horrible creature he bought back yeah. from the eighth dimension with him. And then uh, the president phones for him. Buckaroo, yeah. the president's on the phone. He's on a payphone. Yeah, he goes off to Charles' the phone and is electrocuted through the telephone, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, and at that moment... It, it, it like makes him convulse. And then it, after he's finished convulsing, he writes on his hand. <laughs> Did you notice that? Straight away, he writes on his hand. And um, then he shouts, conference room! Well, some guys come along and kidnap Hikita. Well, no, because when, when he gets back to the conference room... So he just, uh, right, so he's been zapped by the soldiers, yeah. he's written on his hand, he shouts conference room, they all run in there. Yeah. When he gets back there, he can now see aliens. Oh, that's right, yeah. It's, they um, live style. Yeah, it's very John Carpenter, isn't it? That yeah, bit, yeah. and because he points and he shouts, <laughs> evil, pure and simple from the eighth dimension. It's this brilliant, like, mega acting <laughs> moment. Anyway, Christopher Lloyd is a bad guy. He's called Jim Big Boutte. He's a red electroid <laughs> that now Buckaroo Banzai can see after being zapped by the vat, the, the electricity. There's a cool chase scene with a van that Peter Willen nearly gets killed by. Then, right, when we flummoxed our way through this the first time, mm. this got really complicated. There's a lot of plot happens. Yeah. Basically, to s the way that it comes about is that there's red electroids and black electroids fighting, and they came through the eighth dimension in 1938. That's right. And Orson Welles turned it into the story for War of the Worlds, which was actually true. Yeah. And, and was... described how these aliens then yeah. came to live amongst us. And then they forced him to say that it was fictional. So and the that... aliens set up this company called Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems mm. because they want to make their own oscillation over thruster to get back to the eighth dimension to fight the other electroids. That's basically it. That's right, yeah. Penny, who is played by Ellen Barkin... She has it. She has this oscillating thing with Bob and me. The, the, yes. The MacGuffin. The MacGuffin, yeah. She's got it in. I don't they don't know, know that. Yeah, that's weird. They don't, the, the, the Electroids don't know that, but they have kidnapped her. Yes, and uh, they've taken her back to Yo-Yo Yeah, and they're torturing her to get this thing. Yeah. So Banzai then has to go and perform some kind of rescue mission. And the whole band storm the, mm. the conclave. Is that a word? Conclave? Yeah. yeah. Is that enclave? It's some sort of clave. 
I like Conclave. It sounds like it should be right. Let's yeah. leave it in. They storm it, but you're used to seeing in action movies these days, like e- like non even non actors looking sort of half competent militarily <laughs> on screen. But these guys is just like nah. people wandering around with a gun, like it's really budget. And mm. anyway, the all of the electroids end up going with Banzai back into space. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of like pods and spacecraft of, of various different guises going on. I did actually think this bit at the end with the spaceships was quite good. Banzai and one of the Rasta guys that we haven't even mentioned, <laughs> the Black Electroids, they end up in a smaller fighter thing. Mm. And this bit was okay. It looked like a bit of money had been spent on it and they blow up the other one. And then it's all hunky-dory. Well done. Banzai parachutes back to Earth. Of course he does. Um, oh, and then when he gets back, uh, Penny... Penny succumbed. She's, she's su- dead. She succumbed to her presumably torturing mm. injuries. So she's she's a goner. But he he gives her a kiss, and the electricity that he has presumably from for some reason from the phone from the call, telephone or, call or, yeah. is able to bring her back. So that's good, isn't it? Yeah, and then yeah, so they live happily ever after, to, yeah. presumably. And then the last shot of the first before the credits is a black Lectroid saying, "So what? Big deal?" at the camera, <laughs> and then some closing text telling us to watch out for the next adventure of Buckaroo Banzai and Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League. Which sounds quite entertaining. Then, and this is my favourite part of the movie, mm. the entire cast just march up and down one of those, what is it, like an aqueduct kind yes. of thing? Like a canal, like an empty canal. You know, like you see in um, Terminator 2 with the, yeah. the big chain. They just march up and down and just change direction really sharply. And, and that goes on for the entirety of the credits. Yeah, which is a good six or seven minutes. And, uh, and when they were 80s. doing it, when they were actually filming that, it was to Uptown Girl by Billy Joel. Ah. And so they had to, do the score at exactly the same tempo mm. as that, which I thought was quite nice. It's it looks almost like it could have been lifted out of Anchorman. To yeah, that scene. Yeah, it's it got that really kind of is like a, an ensemble so cast big. being ridiculous. Yeah, so big and ridiculous that it looks like parody, but it yeah, it kind of was and wasn't. Do you know how much this cost to make? I don't. Do you want to have a guess? Because <sighs> we haven't probably got it across enough in our discussion. It does look quite budget a yeah. lot of the time, like really quite budget. Because this story is huge as well. Yeah, it spans, you know, space. idea and after idea after idea. Yeah, everything is thrown at the screen. I wouldn't have, I couldn't even guess, a million dollars. $17 million. Wow. You just wonder where, where the fuck where was did it? that go? <laughs> yeah. I think quite a lot of that went up people's nose, probably. Um do you think it made money or lost money, this one? Well, probably over time it might have made a bit of money, but uh, not at the time. The no. statistic I have for it is that it made $6.3 which I thought actually was quite good, <laughs> considering because... How much? $6.3 Okay. I'm surprised it made that much, yeah. to be honest with you. This is hyper, hyper niche, this. This yeah. is like really nerdy, sci-fi, comic booky. Galactic y And there were comics. Stuff. There was a Marvel tie in and there were was some there? comics. Yeah. But this was way before any of this stuff had the kind of broad appeal hmm. that it has now and it was so nerdy. It's, I would say, it's one of those things that people probably like it because in the sort of mold of it's so bad it's good. But I don't know if when they were making it, they were like, let's make a really funnily like shit movie. Mm. I think they thought this was good. I didn't like it. You didn't like it? No. Not, I thought I was really going to like it. So we didn't mention it this time round. 
but there's a there's like the text crawl at the beginning of the movie that yeah. gives you a load of exposition has some like banging kind of synth music and i was like oh this is cool you know and it's got that it feels like it's going to be fun and it's got that throwback feel to it when you're watching it now obviously but then there's just so much going on yeah and you just feel like if we just carve some of this stuff out it could have made a really good movie it's it, yeah there is a lot of uh, like you said ideas being thrown mm. at the at the screen here and i didn't have as much i thought i was going to really enjoy it i just didn't have as much fun with it as i thought i was going to have but yeah that's probably fair yeah. this was probably better the second time round okay. maybe it's a one to watch a few times so when you know a few moments yeah. in it that you can laugh at to anchor around the experience yeah this is not going to be for everyone the director was a guy wd richter and he definitely has a thing for Big Trouble in Little China because he's adapted it more than once and did the screenplay for the video game. And okay. he's got a TV series, I think, about it. And he also did, he wrote the Jamie Foxx, Jessica Biel AI drone movie thing, Stealth. Oh, I've not seen that. No. Peter Re- Weller wouldn't be Robocop for another three years. But this probably got him the job, I yeah. guess. Another connection in this movie was that the guy who did the music was called, did you see this? His name is Michael Bodiker. Yes, I did see Clarence's that. Yeah, yeah, another, like, yeah. thing. Uh, Peter Willis still seems to be busy. He does a lot of TV work, and he was the voice of RoboCop in Mortal Kombat 11, the video game. Okay, mm. still dining out on that. Well, why not? Yoyodine.com mm. is a website. Oh yeah, you can go on it, and it's still it's it's pretty basic, but it is still something that I think fans you know have latched onto and kept going. And at the bottom, it says that their lawyers are Wolfram Hart. It says, please refer to our lawyers, Wolfram Hart, which is the lawyers, lawyers from Angel from the Buffy universe. Oh, right. So oh, sorry, there's, there's that like all, all more nerdy stuff going on in there. The thing that struck me watching it this week that you can't help, you know, see as being sort of related to what's going on in the world because the aliens are kind of fighting a proxy war using the Russians yeah. uh, to nuke the Americans, basically. Yeah. And so that, that's the threat that's in the, in the movie. And so you have got that cold war thing going on you have got this thing about what can happen if the wrong people get access to nuclear weapons and then you've got another thing about an un- the unchecked power of greedy corporations engaged in like shady business mm. while the government turns a blind eye you've got some of that stuff going on so if yeah you like that kind of thing a lot of 80s kind of classic themes i suppose yeah yeah there was some good stuff in this it just wished they'd got some of the other stuff out and just yeah. focused on the the good bits because i think there was a good movie a really good movie to be had in there just with that cast it's just amazing that i think not many people have heard of it no i was, it was completely and utterly drawing a blank mm. and it was the title gives you the right feeling of what the movie is going to be like yeah i would say it it's difficult to recommend it isn't it yeah i mean there's better sort of examples of this kind of movie i suppose but i did i did enjoy it i watched it on friday night it was like a good friday night movie to watch sit down and sort of veg out to but yeah it's, it's like a five six out of ten probably i think what's hard when you got to do it for podcasts and you think you've got to try and explain the general plot of a movie to people <laughs> yeah like that is quite hard with a movie like this mm, yeah definitely um yeah just watch it and see what you think watch it don't do a podcast about it no would be my advice yeah definitely 